Hi, this is Garrett Abeda. And I am Garrett Shelp. We're two pastors in Flagstaff, Arizona. And our job puts us in an environment where we get to meet people all the time. And with all that dialogue and conversation going on around us, we just feel like you can't put a price on a great conversation. This is People in the Pews. What did you say? You said you were in your Camaro, right? In my Camaro. Yeah, yes. I like that. I called you. My favorite part of today was when I called you to make sure you were doing this, and you were like, the music was cranked. And that is my favorite. <laughs> I was like, I already know I like this lady, yeah. because the, you was so loud, you had to stop, turn it down, and then we talked. I loved that. That's wonderful. Yes, yes. Camaro, the loudest it could be, is my thing. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. That's yes. so awesome. Um, yeah, Deanna, I first met you because... Um, I had questions about my dad. Uh, my dad has gone through some health issues and has ended up kind of in a care facility in a nursing home. And I met you because you kindly had overheard that about me at our church. And you reached out to me and asked about how you could help me and, and, and get involved. And I thought that was so unique. And so I just want to start here and ask you, how did you end up being involved with people and care centers and care needs like that? And nursing? how did you get involved in that? Well, it started with my own parents. My parents are older um, than most my age, and they were acquiring the illness of Alzheimer's. Hmm. And the need was there for them to be cared for. Did, did both of your parents have Alzheimer's? Mama got it at 88, and Daddy started at 89. She was more advanced wow. than he, yes. Yikes, <laughs> that's got to be tough. Um, what was it like? I mean, can you give us a... I'm sure there's people who are dealing with that or just found out that they're dealing with that. Um, what would you say to someone who just found out that they or someone they know has Alzheimer's? Acceptance is the key to their freedom hmm. and the joy and the moments that they can share with their loved ones in the last days. Hmm. Wow. And because, you know, to accept the fact that we have no control over the disease, there's no cure for the disease. Hmm. And uh, to live each day to the fullest with them, the best of your ability. Absolutely. Wow. So, I mean, even right there, that's, this is exactly why I wanted you on the podcast. Because how do you so quickly get to that positive view of things? I don't think that's everyone's natural. No. It's definitely like the, the alternative way of yeah. what was me, you know, to not be so accepting of that and, and kind of embracing the opportunity that it gives, maybe. I don't know. It's me forgetting about me. It's not about me. It's what I'm able to do and give to them. Hmm. You know, I need to accept the fact that I have no control over what's been brought upon them. And, and with that, what am I going to do with it? If I can't change it, um, am I able to make it good to the best of my ability? Hmm. Am I able to give it joy? You know, and, and so it's the approach of how I approach my loved one. My loved ones, the ones that 
are failing and realize they're failing. And it's up to me to edify them and lift them up through the process of their disease. Mm. You know, through depression and all of the marks of the disease that can take hold of them, out of love, I wish to support that and, and to lift them up. How, how old were you when your parents got diagnosed with Alzheimer's? I was 42. And what was your life like, I guess, before that? Were you, what career were you pursuing? What, like, what was your goals and your dreams? Well, my journey has been one that my God had planned for me, a perfect plan, even though it didn't seem to have the ending that it does today. And um, he promised me that he would lift me up and bring me out of where I was one day if I would just turn back to him, and I did. Mm-hmm. My journey prior to that, I had been in hotel, motel, restaurant management for a number of years, resort management. Always been in the service industry, huh. you know, I'm caring for others in some level or form. I also had a time in my life where I had some trauma that happened to me, and I became a heroin addict. And I was actually a heroin addict for 14 years. Wow. Wow. And in the year of 2000, see, this is all of God's plan, because in the year of 2000, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, and my sobriety date is April 28th of 2000. Wow. I have never picked up heroin again. I have never turned back to the lifestyle that I was living. I've only moved closer to the God that I love today. And with that, God had a plan. Even though I had lived this crazy life, when my parents had a need, you know, my life unfolded where I obtained sobriety and I was able to step up and do the plan that God had for me. And I was available for my parents to care for them. Wow. And my my journey of caring for them started in 2002. Hmm. Wow. You're like blowing me away already, and we we've been here for four minutes. Like, <laughs> oh wow, I'll tell you I mean, something. It, I mean, that's that's incredible. Just to to come out of that, and then not not only to come out of that, but directly to come out of it, and then begin serving someone in like the deepest of ways. How you do with your parents, like that is that's just that blood that just blows my mind. That's that's incredible. That out of that you would that's your natural response. You know what I mean? You know, I'm a woman that's been forgiven for a lot. Mm. And with that, I can only give the gift of forgiveness in return. Mm. I had been so self-serving with my addiction. Mm. Had harmed my, my parents and family and people I didn't even know, my community, so much that when I took hold of this thing called sobriety or life without drugs, I didn't know how to do it, and I was afraid. But I took hold of it, and I did what I was told to do. I followed a program, and... Um, God moved through my life. You know, Christian or not, there is a a power greater than us. Mm. There is a love source in this world that keeps us rotating the way we do. Did you say a love source? A love source. You know, for those of people that don't want to acknowledge that God is God, whatever way that we come to, to acknowledge that there's a power source, a power, a love, a creator a universe, whatever people, you know, put the title onto it is. For me, it's God. Whatever that is, we acknowledge there is someone, something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And with that, it humbled me to know that I am not all that. Mm 
(laughs) that I am Deanna, you know, and yeah. I had read a book not long ago in the last couple of years that was about the 12 step program (laughs) with AA. And they said, you know, one of the, the amazing things, the transformative power of AA for its lasting value has been that the first few steps are about acknowledging your powerlessness and then in the exact same moment, acknowledging this power be outside of yourself. Um, Absolutely. And, and AA was my entrance back mm-hmm. into my pathway to God and where I am today. Wow. You know, I went in there with a closed mind. I went in there with an angry heart because I came out of a very hard road. But I did keep going back every day. Hmm. You know, um, the, first, the first step says we, we, came, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves hmm. could restore us to sanity. And so we come together. I came, and I, and I grew to believe. And um, with that, um, the entrance, the first three steps are all about that. Acknowledging that there is a power greater than me and that I'm not all the power that there is in this world. Right. Selflessness. Yeah. Yes. I want to get back to you um, working in, you know, care. Yes. And taking care of but before I do that, I want to ask, what was it that triggered you saying, I'm done with heroin? I'm done with that lifestyle? What sent you to that state of mind? Because I, ba- I imagine there's people who know someone they love who's trapped in it, mm-hmm. and all they want for them is good, and all that that family or that friend wants for this person is for them to change. And it would be interesting to hear your perspective on what was it for you that made you say, I've got to do something different. Even you said you begrudgingly kind of went to A, but you stuck with it. Yes. Well, first of all, addiction is a personal journey. It is nothing but a self-centered personal journey to feed the demon that's in, within. And it's selfish, and it's focused, and it'll do whatever it can to obtain what it needs to feed that. The desires and wants of family and prayers of family are always seen by an addict. Um, However, the addiction always overrules any of that. For me, I had gotten to the deepest despair. I was in despair. I was in a very dark place. And what happened for me was is that I was doing the drug, but I couldn't get high anymore. Hmm. The more I did, the less it worked for me. And there comes a point to where that happens in people's lives. Um, Actually, I was in a casino. I walked out of the bathroom stall. I was in the bathroom, and there was a line of mirrors in front of me. And I walked towards the mirrors, and my eyes caught my own eyes. And for the first time in my entire life, I saw Deanna. Hmm. And my eyes were transfixed on that, and I walked right up to the mirror and put my nose on the mirror and said, where's my soul? Hmm. All I saw was dark circles in the mirror. I left there, tried to get high, couldn't get high. I locked myself in a bathroom for three days. I looked at myself in the mirror. I was weighing 92 pounds. Mm. I was dying before my very eyes. And for me, my, my story is God would not let me forget what I saw that night. Mm. I was in the darkest of despair, living under a bridge. 
looking for drugs. And that happened on December 13th of the year 1999. On January 4th of uh, the year 2000. I Y2K, walked. you know, everything was supposed to shut That's down. Right. Oh, right. And you know what <laughs> shut down for me was my addiction because I walked up to the jailhouse and pushed the button and told them my name and turned myself in because I was done. Wow. That's wow. incredible. I, I can't believe that. Um, also, I like how you took the Y2K thing and you made that <laughs> to you. That was your, like, own, that was your own event. That was very poetic. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, wow. absolutely is. And you know, those, the dates of my sobriety and, and, and the years that these happened, see, they're, they're, they're turning points in my life. Yeah. I don't ever want to forget where I came from. I don't ever want to forget that. Yeah. And with that, you know, my sobriety day is more important than my birthday. Mm. The day I turned myself into that jail that day was a turning point and an admission, not only of my addiction, but of my defeat. Wow. Mm. That's one of the questions Garrett and I try yeah. to ask people, and you already, you just did it. It was like, what's a defining moment of your life? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. How did you, oh man, I, locking yourself in a room and going, that must have just been unreal. I can't. I literally just can't even imagine. It was yeah, it was me, and God. You know, I've I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were, they loved Jesus with all of their heart, mind, and soul. They 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 served Him. Hmm. Good people. It's not that I wasn't taught the path to go. I didn't follow it. My rebellion spirit took hold of me as a teenager, and I followed it. You know, but that wasn't the end of me. That was just the journey God allowed me to be on to bring me to where I'm having this conversation with you today. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, I'm so glad you are. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, there's so many things. So coming coming out of that and, you know, living the life you are today, what, what would you say reminds you that you are alive? What reminds you that you're this Deanna and not, and not this person you were before? Is there something that really kind of kickstarts you into reminding you of that or I've been transformed this is true um what reminds me of that is the gratitude that I have life today mm. you know being a drug addict is the living dead there's one force it's the addiction and the next fix there's no one around you. You don't give to anyone. And, you know, today I'm able to recognize, acknowledge, and be available for other people. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me that, that I've been spared that so that I can give back some of my story and some of yeah. who I am to someone else and hopefully help someone else know that regardless of where they are, there's hope. Yeah. There's always hope. I didn't know what hope was. I lost it. That's why I couldn't see my soul in that mirror that day. Yeah. I had no hope. Wow. So all of a sudden, you're cleaned up. Obviously, it feels like all of a sudden to us, not our story. <laughs> yes. But for you, it was a lifetime, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, you uh, have your parents have Alzheimer's. That's correct. I get clean and sober. I'm on the journey in a pathway of life without drugs. I'm loving life. Which this is so interesting because like it's like, oh man, God's answered my prayers. I'm I'm liberated. Right. I'm saved from all right. this. And what's one of the first things that happens is suffering. And what comes up is the failing of my parents, yes. And their mm. health. 
But see, I was available now. Mm. Whereas if it had happened before, I was not available. And so I was available now. And I was, I was at a turning point in my life. I had finished a long-term rehab for women. And um, I, I was completing all the charges against me. I definitely was a criminal mind. And, and I was cleaning up all the wreckage of my past, if you will. And I was on a pathway of getting a new life and learning how to live life. And then it came up that I reunited with my parents after seven years of not seeing them. Wow. And in that, that unification is where I saw the need. And I kept going back and spending time with them. And, 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 and being able to learn to trust me again was part of the journey. I was untrustworthy for many, many years. And um, they, saw, they saw God in my heart. They saw the change in me. They saw that I had taken hold of a new life. Mm. And so that was restored quite quickly. Mm. And so with that, um, just helped in the process. You know, spent time with them. You know, found out their need. Um, prayed about it. Um, and then had a conversation with my dad over the fact that I was available and wanted to give back to them and that I would care for them until their demise. Mm -hmm. You had told me the other day when we were talking about uh, my dad's situation and you were so kind and generous to offer your support, um, you had mentioned that you were with both your parents at their passing. Correct. Um, I know that so many people... Uh, myself included, no matter what you believe and what religion you're from, um, everyone is curious and wonders about what happens when we die. And I know for me, I, I held my grandma's arm when she passed away. I kind of felt her pulse leave her, but it felt like more left her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I want to hear your thoughts being there both times with them. What are your thoughts on being with somebody as they pass away? What was that like for you? And and what is it, how has it shaped you? Well, how it has shaped me is that it brought me, you know, in front of an experience. Um, and let me rethink. What it did for me was brought me in front of an experience or of a moment of cherishing life. Considering where I came from. I had learned what despair and darkness was. And now being in front of my parents and being with them in their loving hearts, just to be around them and to experience the peace that they had within them as they prepared to leave this earth. Um, they were nonverbal. Um, and as I spent time with them, I became it became clear to me that there was some sort of conversation going on within them. Mm. I believe it's with God. I believe that in the final moments of their life that they are giving up everything of their fears, their conversation, whatever it is, before God. And um, it's a very peaceful time. You know, death, death, the perception of death can be morbid only by the thoughts of the person doing it. You know, um, for me, they were relieved of the insanity of their lives because of Alzheimer's. For me, I, was, I became more aware of how blessed I was to have them in my life in the beginning. 
And, you know, Christian or not, you know, the spirit that runs within people is a beautiful spirit. It's a loving spirit. You know, and um, during times of death, there has to be a peace that's reached during that time. You, uh, that's so, like, that is so good. That is such an interesting perspective that someone is having this conversation yes. right, within like themselves. an exchange going on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm almost certain of it. I also worked in hospice care for a number of years after my parents died. I found that my heart was drawn and towards bringing whatever empathy, compassion, understanding, and love I could to the, to the family, but also to the individual that was saying goodbye to this world. And some people would linger longer than others, and, and, I, and I became moved to understand why that could be. Mm-hmm. How is it that some can go to sleep and one night it's over? And others will linger for days and even weeks. And um, in my experience, if they're from conversations with families, from the time and the years that I spent next to people in hospice, um, when these people were leaving this earth, I had found through the conversations that there was either a loved one, a brother, a situation, a moment that they still had to make amends with in some way. Hmm. And so they would hang on or linger on until they came to a place mm-hmm. to where they had conclusion in those issues. Yeah. And then they were able to say goodbye. Or even as simple as the family giving them permission. Yeah. I was, just a couple weeks ago, we had <coughs> uh, one of my grandma's really good friends. She was <coughs> um, admitted to the hospital. About a couple days later, they realized that she had um, terminal lung cancer. All of a sudden, she had, she thought she had a cold and like some bronchitis stuff, and it ended up that it was, you know, too far progressed that they just tried to make her comfortable. And I remember them sending her home and being so happy that she was comfortable finally. And it was about four hours after she got home that she passed away. And it's, I think it's, it's like what you're saying now. It's not that, you know, I, I think she had had her peace and all of her kids got to come and, you know, say goodbye and spend time with her. But there was something about being at home in her own bed with, you know, her family surrounding her. And that was, you know, her spirit, her body, whatever you believe it is, letting go. And as soon as she was comfortable and at home, she, you know, that was it. And so I think it's, it's so interesting how we have control, but, but we don't have control. There's this kind of subconscious working within us that, you know, releases us or sends us off to that. So that's so interesting that you say that. That's so weird. My grandma was uh, passing away from lung cancer and she had been in the hospital for several days. She chose not to do chemo anymore for a few months. That went well. And then all of a sudden she really, it started really attacking her again. And, um, you know, she just made this decision. I don't want to be in the hospital anymore. And I knew she knew what that meant. She knew she could never, my grandma was never the kind of person that could acknowledge her mortality or death, but mm-hmm. she knew I want to be at home. And it was only in the next week right. that I get a call that, hey, and, and even my, it was so interesting. My mom, my aunts, they just knew. They're like, I think this is her last night. And so I drove, they lived in Wickenburg. So I drove from Flagstaff to Wickenburg. And, and I remember being in there. And of course, um, she wasn't really, 
lucid or anything at that time. She'd been on a lot of pain medication to make sure she was comfortable. But uh, what was so interesting is that she intuitively knew she wanted to be home. Yes. Right. And that that would have, I wonder if she would have struggled with passing more yeah. had she stayed in the hospital. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And this is what I was going to say that, you know, I learned also through my journey and spending time with families and individuals that were passing is, is that if there is a restlessness amongst them. It's either, like I said, a person, place, or thing that needs to be resolved. But it's also up to the care provider and the family to be receptive to, to possibly why the person is struggling, continuing to struggle, mm -hmm. such as moving them to home, yeah. such as, you know, and, and you say that, that they just knew that they were going to pass. Yes, I mean, we're all connected by spirit and love which is definitely true. And yeah, we know within our inner being that, that this is what's happening here. And it can even be as simple. I had a lady friend who had a grandmother that was hanging on, who was at home. They had accommodated her um, in the living area because she was very social and didn't want to be separated, was afraid to be alone. They had put her in the middle of their living room for her time to pass. Mm -hmm. But yet she still wasn't letting it go. And it was as simple, they came to me and, and looked for any suggestions. And I said, you know, I'm not sure, but let's try these things. And so the, mother, the grandmother liked really soft things. She liked cats and she loved flowers. Hmm. And so what we did was change the bedding to be ultra soft. We, we got a um, animated cat stuffed animal that purred. And we put fresh bouquets of flowers around the head of her bed so she could smell the odor. Mm. And this was not Deanna being smart. <laughs> this was Deanna you know, having more experience and being in tune for the person that's passing. And you know, we changed all of those things. And within five hours, she said goodbye. Wow. And so it's a matter of being in tune to the need of the person that's going as well. They're yeah. here. Their subconscious mind is hearing and seeing and feeling and believing mm. and having this conversation, even though they may seem non-responsive to the outside world. On the inside, they are getting to the final resting place of their spirit. Wow. And so all of these things need to line up for them to, to take their journey. Yeah. Yes. Does okay, you, you know, like being in tune with someone like that. This woman was nonverbal, right? Exactly. So, could I maybe like, has this made you better at relating with people who aren't passing away? Like, has this, has that gift, has that ability to be in tune with someone impacted kind of the nonverbal cues that hmm. humans do? Throughout Absolutely. the day. Oh, I'm sure it has. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also want to state that my relationship with God has also kept me more in tune of my fellow man. You know, um, I, the journey that, I, that, that I've been on in life um, was a hard one and that taught me a lot about people, but not only that, about myself. And with that, you know, I realize that the world is a rotate against around me. And it taught me to be less selfless and to pay attention more to what the person in front of me is saying and doing mm -hmm. rather than just me showing up and being myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. To be more available to hear who they are. 
Mm. You know, but yes, you know, it definitely has helped me to be more sensitive to the needs of others because we are taught through the Bible that to consider someone else more important than yourself. And with that selflessness, we become more in tune of the needs of another person. Mm. Absolutely. Rather dying or just sitting in front of me. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. What do you, so then I guess just kind of to continue what you just said, what is it, <clears throat> what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus based upon these stories that you're telling us? And what is that, how does that impact your relationship with, with Christ or what is that? Oh, he's my everything. He's my savior. Um, Jesus did the ultimate gift. He gave himself for me. I accept that. He mm. gave it for you. He gave it to give us life. Mm. And in the acceptance of that, it gave me life. I have life today from that, truly. The Bible says that we will be transformed when we return to him. I am a transformed woman. Mm. People see me walking down the street, and they don't know I'm a heroin addict. You can't see it in me. Mm -hmm. See, because through my life in Christ, my dedication to him and serving him because of what he's done for me. He died for me. That tells me that I'm worthy. That tells me that I'm loved. Mm. So and I have nothing but that to get back to anyone else. Yeah. You, know? you have such a, uh, you have such a clear, like, I guess, vision or perspective of what God is like. You have such a, like, it's for you, it's so grounding to your identity. He is love. You've called, you said like, you know, the, the love source, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's so interesting how many, I've met so many Christians being in ministry, being and working at a church that have been told their entire life everything you just said, uh -huh. yes. that Jesus died for them, that he loves them, but it somehow has not gone into their heart. It's just stayed in the head. Yes. And what would you say to someone who they've had that message in their life around them all the time, but they're a very bitter, mean kind of, but th that love is just not flowing through them. They get the idea that God forgave them some time ago. Right. But it for some reason, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, Garrett? Yeah, yeah. It's well, like it's almost become too familiar that it's not familiar. It's unfamiliar. Right. Yeah. Um, Deanna, you clearly don't struggle with that. Like your identity is grounded in love. You're, even the way you talk about death, you make it, I mean, I hate to say it like this, you make it sound inviting and welcome. And you make death sound like another step rather than this, rather than an end. Yes. Yeah, it's a, a time of change, almost maybe. If you yeah, know, it's it's gentler. And if you could, if you could help someone, if you would have the opportunity to say to someone how to get that idea to go from the head to the heart, what would you say? How could you help someone get their identity and their understanding of God to be more like that? That He's that love and He's that source and He's that conversation we have when we're about to die. How would you help someone see that? What do you think they need to do that to see that? Oh, I'm just covered in what I call God bumps, goosebumps, because oh, what I say is, is learn who God is. I, I love my God because I know who he is because I spend time with him. Hmm. 
I have to spend time with him to know who he is. To be like Jesus, uh, if only I could be like Jesus. And so to follow the example that God gave me of how to live this life, I follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. I see what Jesus did. I do what Jesus did. This certainly, I don't do it perfectly. But the biggest thing for me is the sacrifice that Jesus made. He got up on that cross knowing his future. For me, it's like, am I willing to take up this cross even though I don't know the future? But I do have a God who has promised me that he has a future for me. And so it enlarges my faith, my trust. It keeps me knowing that he's God and that Deanna is not. Hmm. And so I have to spend time with God to know who he is so that I can be more like him, so that, so that I can run my life and live my life in accordance to what he knows is good. Mm -hmm. Because, see, when Deanna does it, she's a heroin addict living under a bridge. Oh, man. That's <laughs> Deanna. <laughs> Deanna without God is like that. Mm. Deanna with God is sitting with two wonderful gentlemen that serve him having a podcast talking about how much she loves her God and how much she's done for her. This is the Deanna with God. I have life today. I have hope today. Does that mean that I don't have, you know, like in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has been the guiding force of my life since I was a young girl. I've always loved Jesus. That doesn't mean I followed him always. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I never did. You Put that know? on his sticker right now. I always now. loved yeah. him. And, you know, even in my darkest of despair, I had arguments with God to where I was convinced that I'd gone too far. Well, you know, all of those things were in the impact of my addiction and the insanity that runs with that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is in 1 Corinthians 10 13, it says, Do not think that what happens to you is not common to man. For I, the Lord your God, will provide a way out if you trust in me. And that holds true in all aspects of life, whether it be addiction, whether it be a, a, a disagreement at my job with another fellow employer or employee. You know, it, it doesn't matter how big or small the challenge is. It's only a situation, but I need to trust God in all those things. I mean, how often do I call upon my God every day? Do I call upon him every day for an encounter with, you know, a, a fellow employee? Mm -hmm. Or do I have to wait for the bigger things? Divorce, death, financial hardship, whatever. I mean, those are the only things I bring before God? Or am I like Jesus to where I bring that sacrifice to God every single day? And I say, here I am. Use me. Send me. Keep me out of this. How often do I edify and remember my God in my day? Mm. I'm grateful for the life that I have today. I am not worthy of it, but I am through Christ. I am worthy. So you, I mean, you've mentioned all the ways that you, you know, you've talked about coworkers and, and stuff like that and acknowledging God and anything like that. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned that you worked in resorts and customer service and things like that and the service and all that industry. Um, and then now you've transferred over into another kind of service industry, but with yes. helping people in their final moments and the elderly and hospice care and all that. 
Um, in all these moments that you've been in leadership like that, whether it was back in the resort world or in the world you're in today, what is like, what is some practical advice or lessons you'd give to someone who's leading something from what you've learned in the service industry? That I need to listen. First of all, I need to be silent and listen to their story. I need to hear what they are saying. You know, to separate myself from the emotion, from um, any personal conflict, any personal judgment in that person, and allow them to speak and to look at it as a situation, not a problem. Hmm. Everything's only a situation. That's all that it is. I'm literally, you can't, no one can see this, but Garrett and I just keep looking at each other with like, like <laughs> these facial expressions, like what yes, she you're just, just said. Like an, an endless well of, of <laughs> wisdom. It just keeps, oh, it just keeps coming so, up. So oh, you said see, the goodness. most powerful thing someone could do in leadership is listen. Listen. And, you know, you take the, the letters of listen and you rearrange them. It says silent. It spells Oh, for the love of God. Thing. Come on, Deanna. <laughs> it's true. You need to write a that's book. Unbelievable. Am I right? It's yeah, wow. it is. No, that's true, though. Because wow. you, yeah. I mean, And if so you show up and realize write. that whatever is happening in the midst of that. That's your beautiful ringtone. I love it, it so much. It's my, I, I'm popular today. You are. Um, you are. <laughs> and so with that, you know, to show up and to set it aside is a personal issue. It's not a personal issue. It's a business issue. And it's a situation that can be resolved. Hmm. You know, and with that, we do it together. We seek a solution together. Good wow. grief. I was just thinking about, like, how many office issues and just on your team alone. So if you're a leader and it's like you've got a team of people under your care, it's like just choosing to listen and to see that it's not a problem. You said it's not a problem to solve. It's a, no, it's, it's a situation. It's a situation. It's just a situation. Just that alone is like, hey, I'm not trying to fix this person. I'm not trying no. to fix the situation. I right. just need to listen. I need to be silent. I mean, that's incredible. That, that, I mean, that changes your outlook on the person. It changes the way you deal with the mindset the situation, has changed, yeah. and, and it takes away any judgment. Right. It changes your attitude. It doesn't. It changes it from a personal matter to a business matter. Because, see, when you're on a team like that, it's easy to let emotions and opinions run the team. We don't want to do that. We, we want to stay situational, and we want to, to stay in a, in, a, in a mindset of resolving hmm. and moving forward. You know, opinions can become overbearing because then they're spit out and spoke out as something that, they, that, that is important. Opinions are only mine. Hmm. That doesn't make them a team, a team answer, if that makes hmm. sense. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Just because you have an opinion, yeah. My opinions are <laughs> not what, what makes it right. Oh, my gosh. You know? I can't even handle you right now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Thank what, you so much yeah. for having me here. What is um, what is one thing you know for sure? If there was one thing that you could say you absolutely know, what would that be for you? Jesus is coming again. Mm. I absolutely know that. Mm. That's good. What is that? Uh, how does that help you? I think for some people, yeah. they might hear someone say that. Um, and that may sound really weird to them, right? I mean, right, even exactly. for me as a Christian, I go, is that good news? Is that bad news? And oh, my so, gosh. So tell me what that means for Deanna. 
what that means for me is, is that I was created to be more than what is just happening here. This is not all who I am. Faith is knowing what to hope for. Hmm. Hope means that there's a new tomorrow. And that's a pretty big statement by God. Faith is knowing what to hope for and believing in the unseen. The unseen to us is death, heaven, this afternoon, tomorrow. Yeah. That's all unseen to me. In my mind, I can, have, I can have an agenda and I can move towards that, but it's still an unseen agenda. Faith is knowing what to hope for and believe in the unseen. I hope, and I, you know, my faith has me hope to know that as the daughter of a God, like we have, that there's more to me and that he created me for more than what I just get here on this earth. Mm. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We are too beautiful in his eyes for this to be all we get. Mm. So my hope knows that there is a new tomorrow, that God does have a better place for me, and that he placed me on this earth for this journey. And one day, I'm going home. Mm. This is not the end of me. This is not the end of you. Because I believe in Jesus Christ, I have the privilege of going home. Where my home is, is in heaven. With my God and my and my Christ, that that's what this is. Hmm. Yeah, unbelievable. This can't be all I get. Are you right. kidding? <laughs> We're too wonderful for just this. So I guess when you hear someone in our day say, you know, all that spiritual stuff is just for old times' sake and is holding us back as a as a nation as a culture, and uh, you know, we have science now and we have technology now. Um, when you hear someone talk like that, what does it make you think? That they need to open the eyes of their heart. That they need to stop believing the lies. That they need to stop thinking only of themselves. See, we can't see past ourselves until we surrender ourselves. Can't see past yourself. If anyone that ever listens to this is like someone else who's like Garrett and I and we're in ministry, I would just like to remind you that we just met Deanna like a week ago. <laughs> this is true. We did not prepare or groom her. She was not like given a brief. Fed, and I was like, I'd like question. you to say these key theological no, terms. That's true. This is just a lady at our church that we've met. And she yes. was kind enough to reach out to me through a circumstance that has to do with my own life and my dad needing health care mm-hmm. and all that. And... Um, we just decided to put a microphone in front of her. So if you're a pastor or you're in like a church, I want you to remember that there are people at your church that have incredible stories, insight, rich stories, wisdom, and all you have to do is listen. Mm. Yes. Like you told us. Yes, and, and to reach out. You know, sometimes, you know, just like with you, Garrett, you know, um, I reached out to you, not that I knew anything or believed anything or even, I didn't even know what I could do, if anything at all. I still but, don't either. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and maybe that too will come, but see, just by me, my acting on that prompting 
from my God prompted me to do that, has brought us to this conversation. Mm. And my hope is, yes, first of all, I would like an affirmation with what you just said. I mean, um, that's where this conversation started was with that. I reached out to Garrett three or four months ago, and he responded to me when the need became in front of him. And, And so we had a conversation, and then they invited me here. And so, you know, all of that was just all of the flow mm-hmm. of, of my reaching out to you, you reaching back, and I reaching out to you. And, and so then you invited me to share my story, and it really is my privilege to be here. I'm Deanna. Hmm. I am Deanna, the daughter of a king, and that's all that I am, hmm. you know. We are honored to know you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing Thank your story. You. Likewise. I mean, Absolutely. Thank you wonderful. so much for inviting me here today. Oh, man. You uh, made our, I think you made our week. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. I'm going to have to re-listen to this about yay, eight God. times yeah. to figure out. To pull out the wisdom um, again. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, like, okay. Got to come yeah. back and write that down. Um, right. Thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for, like, I think really helping us all to remember the power of listening and the mm. power of slowing down. And the power of like listening for God's voice and looking at people and remembering their humanity. Yeah. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Garrett, would you give us our last word this week based on what sweet Deanna oh, man. has uh, given us? Because, you know, we try well, to at least say something <laughs> in light of it. What did you get that you'd be like, man, I hope we do this? Well, I can only probably do it about a 10% as well as you could. But maybe if I could sum it up, we say... This week, maybe listen with more than just our ears. How does that sound? Yes. Perfect. Yes. That's, that's today's last word. Awesome. Thanks for being here today. Oh, yes. Thank you.